Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Our guest today is Joanna Chilcote Fellows. She is the president of the Maryland Theater Education Association. She is facilitating Improve Your Improv, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Friday, May 15th from 3 to 3.45 p.m. Joanna, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Before we started this interview, and you said that you uh, were raised in Catonsville, so you are you are uh, a Maryland native. Oh, yes. I went to Carver Center for the Arts and Technology in Towson for high school. And then for college, I stayed in state. I went to University of Maryland College Park. And then my master's degree is from UMBC. So I am proud to be Maryland raised. I love this state. I was really excited to become president of the Maryland Theater Education Association because there are three things that I am incredibly passionate about, and those are Maryland theater and education. So this organization is just a perfect fit for my passion and my mission. Can you talk a bit about your experience at Carver? If you started out at Carver, then you clearly had encouragement from your parents and an early exposure to the arts. Well, I started performing professionally when I was nine years old. I was hired at Toby's Dinner Theater in Columbia, Maryland. From there, I ended up getting an agent. I did some regional work in Maryland and Virginia, dabbled a little teeny tiny bit in New York. By the time I got to high school, I had already built a resume. So it was just kind of a natural trajectory for me to then go to Carver Center. A performer right off the bat. So how did that start? It started at church. I was always a really good reader for my age. And one year for the Christmas pageant, I asked if I could read the Christmas story from the Bible. And it was usually something that they gave to a fourth grader and I was a second grader, but I started reading and they were like, oh yeah, we got to do this. So I started at the school Christmas pageant and I just kind of fell in love with being on stage and reading out loud. So I started doing some children's theater groups in my area. And from there, I heard about the auditions for Toby's. And so I went and I got the gig. And I did probably six or eight different productions at Toby's. One of my favorites was in The Miracle Worker as Helen Keller. It was a major challenge. And I was maybe in eighth grade when I did that. Wow. And so, yeah, I knew from a really early age that my future was going to be wrapped up in theater. I was really lucky, like you said, to have the parent support to have the ability to go to Carver Center. Frankly, I don't think I would have survived going to a traditional high school. I mean, I was a thespian. I never really connected with my peers outside of doing theater because I was so invested and I was so passionate about it. And so going to Carver, 
I found my tribe. There's something really fulfilling and liberating about finding that community. And when I found it, I knew that what I wanted to do when I grew up was I wanted to go into schools that did not have theater programs and I wanted to start one. I wanted to give schools theater programs because I wanted to give people that safe space and find a place where if you're not into sports and you're not into Girl Scouts or whatever, although those are very worthwhile pursuits, but if you didn't really fit in, you could fit in in theater and you could fit in in music and you could fit in in dance because they allow you to express yourselves in ways that you don't get that opportunity in the academic setting. You don't get that opportunity in an athletic setting to express yourself in the ways that the arts enable you to. Finding value, uh, some kids finding value within themselves within the arts is uh, is a really valuable thing to to have as a as a resource during the their years at school. Oh, majorly. And I teach now at Seneca Valley High School in Montgomery County. It's uh, in Germantown, which is the second most diverse city in the country. And we're diverse in every sense of the word, including socioeconomically. So sometimes it is kind of difficult for some of the varied cultures in our building to see the value and to encourage their kids to participate in theater. But I will tell you that one of the most rewarding things, I always joke that I became a teacher because I love to see people cry. (laughs) One of the most rewarding things in my job is when we're out of performance and a parent comes up to me and they have tears in their eyes and they say, I didn't know my kid could do that. Or I have seen such a change in my kid since they started high school, since they started theater. We do this thing called sappy seniors Mm -hmm. before every performance. uh, There's a senior or two who kind of takes the center of the warm-up circle and says a little bit about what the program has meant to them. So many students credit theater with the reason that they come to school, the reason that they've kept their grades up so that they can be academically eligible to participate. And a lot of students credit theater as the reason that they're still alive. It provides such a vital outlet for self-expression and for figuring oneself out. And speaking of non-traditional pathways, I'm curious on, on a personal note about your experience in grade school leading up to high school. If you were doing tours and these sorts of things, what was your elementary school experience like? I was at a Catholic school uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I started cantering at the church and I just started seeking out performance opportunities. I used to force my sisters and my neighbor to put on backyard circuses and front yard dance concerts. And I uh, heard about the audition for Toby's. I auditioned for Toby. I started working with a wonderful woman at Toby's who was kind of coaching me with acting. And she said, you know, you really kind of have something here. Of course, my dad got all excited and he took me to one of those like big hotel conferences that now I know is a scam. Mm -hmm. You know, one of those like be in a Disney movie 
come on out and audition here. Mm. And so we went. And of course, they told me I was wonderful. Yep. And my dad paid for an 800 number and <laughs> headshots. And I got headshots taken that day, started sending them out. And before I knew it, I had an audition for a television show in New Jersey. It was called Bloopy's Buddies. <laughs> it was a Barney-type show, except... Bloopy and his buddies were like these giant green eggs. What What is this? (laughs) If you Google it, like I said, it was kind of like a Barney type show. I had so much fun doing that show. Oh my gosh. I've just looked up some pictures. This is amazing. I will be including a link to some of these images in the description of the podcast. Oh man, it it was so much fun. And... Again, I was just really lucky. My dad would tote me back and forth from New Jersey to participate in this filming. I missed a lot of school. But again, I was a really strong reader. So I was always able to make up the work either before the day that I missed or on the day that I missed. I started probably in middle school doing Toby's. She had a program that went in the middle of the day. And I, can't recall what it was called, but it was specifically designed for school field trips with her. I did the Miracle Worker during that in-school performance slot. And then going into high school, I was still working with her doing Number the Stars. So it was a lot of regional theater. In high school, I was able to work at Signature Theater in Arlington. Mm-hmm. In A Little Light Music, I was Frederica. Again, it was just such an incredible opportunity. And I have such great memories of the experiences that I had there. And being Frederica in the show, you know, she's the only kid in the cast. Yes. And so all of these wonderful people took me under their wing and encouraged me and gave me opportunities to grow. And just being on stage with some of that talent, I think really elevated my interest and my work ethic. One of the things that is so striking to me about your story is the importance of parental support. So much of your journey as a immediate young professional uh, has come down to support from your parents Uh, willingness to step outside traditional structures and models of what achievement looks like for a young person and to sort of go with and accept you for what you are capable of and, and what you could bring. Well, both of my sisters are athletic. My older sister played every sport known to man and danced. And my younger sister was a very serious dancer and a visual artist. I was the theater kid. My dad used to coach all of Zena's teams and all of her games, but there was nothing to coach for me. So he and I started doing community theater together. And now he is in a chorus and he sings in two different quartets. And he has played in the barbershop quartet in, I think, 13 different productions of Music Man now. Wow. So my dad and I started doing community theater together. At this point, we have done 13 shows together. That's just marvelous. Yeah, I I can't even tell you how incredibly fortunate I am to have the parents that I do. When I did the movie Camp, 
the studio moved us up to New York for about a month for rehearsals and then up into the Catskills for a month and a half for filming. And I was a minor. I was 16. Well, my dad was not about to let me go live in New York for a month by myself. And he's a small business owner. My dad is a 7-Eleven franchise owner. At the time, he had four stores. And so my parents, and I'm sure this was a difficult decision for them, my mom took over the businesses so that my dad could come and move to New York with me while we were working on this project. Incredible. I can't imagine. <laughs> also that you were in camp. Oh, yeah. Which is a very iconic and important movie to, to many people I know. I can't even begin to tell you how that experience changed my life. Well, just a hint. There's something about the film, the making of it, the bonds that we formed as cast members. I mean, we all lived together while we were making the film. We stayed in the bunks in the camp. And then once the film came out, the producers took a handful of us and I got to talk to and meet people that I just idolized. I got to sit right in front of Fran Drescher. <laughs> she goes, at the end of the movie, she leans over, puts her hand on my shoulder and she goes, I loved it. I laughed. I cried. I lost my Aunt Manny sunglasses. So if you could take a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it was fabulous. So I, I, I want to I want to circle back to something that came up in your experiences doing professional theater as a young person, which was of the importance of being in the moment and also of doing things repeatedly but approaching it with a with a sort of ever-renewing sense. Does that mentality and that experience, does that play into the workshop that you'll be presenting? Because uh, it seems like a really important mentality to have a healthy mindset during this pandemic when we are so much in a si single space, unchanging view, not much variation in terms of our ability to socialize. So what you just said reminded me of what the dean said to me at my first teaching gig. I long-term subbed at Carver Center, and the dean of the music and theater department, he said, well, are you acting right now? I said, no, I'm, I'm kind of taking some time off. And he goes, but you must. As a teacher of the arts, you cannot teach what you did a year ago. You cannot teach what you did a month ago. You have to teach what you did last night. And you have to teach what you're going to do tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. That's been a major part of my teaching philosophy and my leadership philosophy is we need to continually find these opportunities to nurture ourselves as artists. And Maryland Theater Education Association, our mission statement is to connect, support, and empower theater educators. And our most effective way of doing that is by providing professional development opportunities that focus on the teacher as the artist. And so that's why we've chosen for our PD session as part of this wonderful Embrace series to play some games. So our session is called Improve Your Improv. And we're just going to play some theater games that can be adapted to be played at a distance. I know a lot of us are really struggling to 
not only find ways to teach our students in this new format, but also to remain active artists. And so what we're hoping is that by tuning in, zooming in, and playing some games, you're going to have something not only that you can take directly back to your digital classroom, but hey, when you're having your digital happy hour with your friends, hey, let's play Three Changes. Hey, let's play Alphabet. You know, just something to kind of lighten the mood and give you some tools. Theater is such a coping strategy for so many people. Well, like you said earlier about students who had said that they might not be alive if it weren't for their theater program, any number of personal turmoils or or conflicts are either worked out or find voice in that medium. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of soul searching and connecting with others that can be done through theater. But what we're trying to do now is just to have fun. I think it was, I think it was Brecht who said, the theater is meant to entertain. It needs serve no other purpose. Hmm. And of course, I'm butchering that quote, but the sentiment is there. So I'm curious because I did a bit of theater in high school. My experience is I've done a number of improv games and a lot of them do revolve around timing. And that's something that can really fluctuate depending on the digital medium. Synchronicity can have issues with Zoom and things like that. So I'm curious about creative solutions to that as one of the things that can play a factor in momentum because improv is so often about momentum between the people participating. You're right. There are a lot of improv games that rely on timing. There are improv games that rely a lot on physicality, which is difficult to achieve when you're looking at your laptop screen. But we have been kind of workshopping some games together with our students to find some games that do work in this digital platform. And you'll just have to log in to the PD to see what they are. Excellent. I love a teaser. I appreciate that. You know, leave them wanting a little more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to ask a little more about your own teaching experience. You are, you're currently, you said at Seneca Valley High. Would you mind uh, sharing just a little bit about the impact that you have seen on your students? You know, you've talked about the impact of theater on your own life, but just about how as a teacher of theater in that setting, what you've seen, a transformation in students' lives or motivation or any of it. I think the big thing for me with theater, it's even bigger than the medium itself. While I love the stories that we tell and, you know, the ways that we can impact an audience through our messaging, the bigger thing for theater for me is community and family. And so that's why I became a theater teacher is I love performing. I love being in a show. But even more than that, I love being in a family and I love building a community. And my theater babies, I'm their drama mama. (laughs) They know that they can come to me with anything. They know that in theater, they have a safe place they know that there's this myth of normal that kind of permeates our culture. And it's been kind of shifting out a little bit in the last few years. But the myth of normal, that there are people that function the way that we're expected to function at all times. 
And I think one of the things that draws the kids to theater is we don't believe in normal. Normal is boring. I had a teacher at Carver, Paul Doherty, who used to tell us that boring people go to hell. (laughs) And that's what hell is. It's just boring people sitting around being boring. We don't do that in theater. We're not normal. We're not boring. Everybody's got a little freak flag that they can proudly fly at theater. You can be LGBTQA. You can have anxiety. You can be clinically depressed. You're going to find empathy. You're going to find a warm hug. You're going to find someone who maybe is going through a similar journey. You're going to find people that value you, that value your skills, that value your experience. There's so many different ways of expression through theater. No matter what your strength is, we're going to find a way to put it to use. And no matter what your weakness is, you don't have to hide it. And that's the thing I love most about theater is it's open. It's a beating heart. You're going to be loved. Well, that's just, uh, it's clear why you are the president of uh, MTEA, because you're certainly doing a great job making the pitch for theater. Joanna, this has been such a great pleasure. Your workshop is on Friday, May 15th from 3 to 3.45 p.m., And I'm really looking forward to tuning in. Thank you. I am looking forward to playing some improv games with you. And thank you so much for this great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.